But uh, so we're going to finish up our Hosea series today. So if you do have children that you're going to let stay in here, just know it's it's got some PG-13 moments in it. So, uh, but uh, we're we're excited to finish up our Hosea series. So you got a Bible? Uh, Hosea chapter 14 should be in the uh, middle part of of your Bible. You have to find it's one of the minor prophets. Hosea chapter 14. Uh, if you got a Bible app, you can probably find it a little easier like that. Hosea chapter 14. That's where we're going to be uh, finishing up uh, this great series on this Old Testament book. So, uh, so here's here's the. If you haven't been here, if you've been on vacation, or maybe it's your first day today, let me just give you the recap of this amazing story in the Old Testament between. Hosea, who is a husband and a prophet of God, and his wife, whose name is Gomer. Now, I know that that's not the most beautiful name in the world, uh, but uh, it is, uh, that's her name. Her name is Gomer. And here's the deal. Hosea was called by God to marry Gomer and knew before he even married her that she was going to be unfaithful to him that she was going to run off on him, that she was going to be with other men besides him. He knew that going into the relationship. And yet God still called him to marry her, and so he did. And so uh, so Hosea marries Gomer, uh, and, and the whole purpose of that, and you might say, wow, that's crazy. The whole purpose of that is to illustrate, that's the entire purpose of Hosea, is to illustrate God's relationship with an unfaithful people, the people of Israel, and then ultimately his relationship with us, also an unfaithful people. That's the entire purpose of Hosea. And so Hosea marries this woman named Gomer. They have three children together. The first for sure is his. The other two were not so sure. So there's three children. Two of them might be illegitimate. We're not so sure about that, but it's very possible. Now, one day, Gomer is gone. Now, it's pretty normal that she would be gone, and she would go off and do other things outside of Hosea's knowledge. But one day, she was really gone, and he couldn't find her. And so he uh, he's kind of wandering around the house, what's going to happen? And God calls him. So in Hosea chapter 3, it'll be up on the screen. You don't have to turn there. We've already gone over this, but just to recap, in Hosea chapter 3, it says this, And the Lord said to me, Go again and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and Homer Alethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days and you shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be with you. So that's the glory of the story that we've gone over over the last couple of weeks. It's that Hosea is asked by God to go again and find Gomer. And where he finds her is in a slave market. She's being sold as a sex slave. And that's where she finds herself. And Hosea literally buys her off the auction block and redeems her and pays everything he's got to get her back. It's a beautiful picture of God's redemption of us. How Christ himself put himself on the cross and gave everything that he had to buy us back. And then he gives her this promise. He says, you will dwell with me and I will dwell with you. You see, we were at one time unfaithful. We were dirty and we were whores and harlots to God. And God in his immense love for us seeks us out, buys us back, 
ransoms us back, and then he promises. And that's the glory of the, if you go all the way forward to the New Testament, what is Jesus' promise as he ascends into heaven? I'm going to be with you. It's the same promise. You're going to be with me, and I'm going to be with you. This is exactly what happened to Gomer. And could you imagine, just for just a second, just for a second, that moment where she's bought off the auction block. She gets down off the auction block. She goes with her head bowed, and her she's just looking at her feet, walking towards Hosea, who's standing there, ready to take her back home. Now, could you imagine what that walk home was like? She still stinks. She's got rags on. Still the stench of other men on her, dirty, unfaithful. And she's walking side by side with her husband who just spent everything he had to buy her back. Can you imagine that walk home? What the conversation is like? What do you even say? Do you not say anything? Then what happens when you get home? What is life like when you get home? You've been gone, unfaithful, and now we're penniless and poor because we've spent everything we had so that we can redeem you out of your unfaithfulness. What is life like then? What do we do? Can you picture it? Now, I don't know about you, but I've, I've been there before. You ever messed up? You ever done something really stupid and you were caught on it? Maybe it was back in your childhood or something like that, and you're caught doing something stupid. And then there's that ride with your parents. Remember that? We're just like, not really sure what we should be saying right now. Maybe, maybe it's this. Maybe you did something at work, and maybe you shouldn't have done it, and you got let go, or maybe you got fired. And there's that long ride home. And you get home early, not because you wanted to, you got home early and you're thinking through, what am I going to talk to my spouse about? What's life like going to be now? What about, and to, to bring a real spiritual for just a second, what about that one thing, that, that one temptation that you struggle with consistently throughout your entire life, that one temptation that you always break? And you've told God a thousand times, I'm not going to do this again. I'm never going to do this again. God, please just forgive me. I'm not going to do this again. I promise I won't do it again. And you do it again. What's that conversation like? What's life like in those moments? Now, we've all, I think we've all been there. I've been there. It's awkward in those hours and those days after that moment. What does that look like? What are we supposed to say? What are we supposed to do? What is our lifestyle like? What was Gomer's life like at home after redemption? Here's what's interesting about this book. So this is a four series or four part series. This is week four. We've only preached through one through three. We've got it's 14 more chapters. Now you're either looking at me saying, wow, you guys didn't plan that very well. <laughs> Here's the deal. The narrative of the story is in the first three chapters, and the rest of the book is poetry and prophecy to the people of Israel. And it's very clear. 
He's giving accusation after accusation of what the, what the people of Israel are doing. And then there's these beautiful poems about God's response to all of that, how God wants and desires to redeem his people. And then there's very clear instruction about what to do after redemption. And here's what's great about the last chapter. The last chapter, chapter 14, is a summary of the entire book. And so we're going to look at chapter 14 because it's a summary. We're going to read the whole thing together, and it's a summary about how about what we're supposed to do now. Because you might be looking at this, and you might have heard maybe other sermons in the series, or maybe you haven't yet. But you might be looking at this book in the Old Testament. It's 2,700 years old. And you might be looking at it and saying, so what? What does this have to do with me? What am I supposed to do with this story? I'm th- it's a great story. I'm thankful for Gomer, and I'm glad for I'm, 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 I'm thankful for Jose, and I'm glad for Gomer. I'm glad she got it back together. But what does this have to do with me? It's a good question. So let's look at chapter 14, verse 1. All right? Verse 1, because he's going to tell us what this has to do with us. Chapter 14, verse 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. Awesome. Here we go. It says, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Iniquity means sin. You stumbled because of your sin. Now stop there for just a second. Now throughout the entire book of Hosea, so I said this was a summary. The entire book of Hosea is simply about this one point. There's one central command that that we might return to the Lord, return to the Lord. The Lord, the, the word return literally means to turn around. That's what it means. To turn around and go the right direction. So it's easy to picture this in the story of Hosea and Gomer. Why? Because Hosea buys her off the auction block. She comes towards him. And as soon as she comes towards him, she is turning back away from the life that she used to live. And then she begins to walk home with Hosea. That is a picture of returning that we're going to turn from what we were doing and we're going to turn away and to come back to what we should be doing. And this is the response that Gomer has to Hosea. Now the order here is really, really, really important in the story. So I don't want you to miss the order, okay? Here's the order. Gomer sins against Hosea. Hosea is called by God to go and get Gomer out of slavery. He purchases her back, and then, and only then, does she return back to Hosea, okay? That's the order of the story. The same is true in our relationship with God. Now, this is important. I know it sounds elementary, but it's important, okay? We sin against God. God sends his only son, Jesus Christ, to pay for our sin on the cross in our place for us. He offers that gift to us, and then we respond to that gift, and we get to walk with him after that response. Okay, the order there is incredibly important because this turning, where the way we, we turn is called repentance. When we, we turn, that returning to the Lord is repentance. That turning and walking for home, the, the walk for home that Hosea and Gomer did, that's repentance. Now, there's a couple places where we mess this up, and I want you guys to get this before we get into the, the main bulk of the message here. There's two places where we mess this up, and this is the reason why we get this kind of order wrong. The first is this. We often think that we have to get ourselves cleaned up before we respond to the Lord. 
we often think that we have to kind of fix it before we can pray and ask for forgiveness from the Lord. Whether maybe it's a porn addiction. I'm going to stop looking at porn for a month, and then I'll talk to God about it. Maybe it's an alcohol addiction. I'm going to get myself sobered up for at least a week, and then I'll talk to God about it. We often get that messed up. It wasn't that Hosea gets to the auction block and says, Hey, Gomer, before I buy you, you need to go take a shower. You need to go change clothes and get, get things right. In fact, actually, you know, I'm going to, you, you just need to make sure you're acting correctly for at least a week and then I'll buy you back. That's not what happened. She's on the auction block, guilty, unfaithful, and he buys her and then she responds to him. The order is so important for us. The order is so important for us. Repentance, here's the deal, write this down. Repentance is always a response to redemption. Repentance is always a response to redemption. And I, can, I, I know why we get it confused. I know why we think we have to repent before we're redeemed. I know that because the two are so closely linked. And let me say it again. Repentance is the instantaneous response to redemption. Repentance is the instantaneous response to redemption. They're so closely linked that sometimes we think, oh, maybe we have to get things right before we're redeemed. But no, 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 that's not it at all. We're redeemed and then we respond in repentance, okay? You don't get that out of order. It's very important that we don't get that out of order because we think that we can save ourselves and that's not true. That's one way we get it wrong. The other way we get it wrong is this is we think that repentance is just a one-time thing. We think that repentance is just a one-time thing. That when we come to Jesus, and I'm talking to the believers and the Christians in this room, that when we came to Jesus that first time, that first really spiritual, emotional experience where we came to know the Lord and we repented, we said, God, I want you to take away my sin. I want you to take away my my ugliness and my unfaithfulness. I'm going to repent of my sin, and then I'm done. Unfortunately, that's not the way it works at all. In fact, the way that our life works is that we are constantly in need of repentance, that we're constantly moving towards a relationship with Christ. I'll I'll prove it to you by saying a couple of things. Here's a quote from Martin Luther. Now, this is uh, from the 95 Theses. This is one of the most important documents ever written uh, in the history of the world, and it begins like this. Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. I'll back this up with Scripture real quick. Jesus himself says this. In Luke 5.32, it says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach, give me that word, repentance. The goal for us as believers is this consistent, our entire life is based upon repentance. So if you're looking at Hosea and thinking, okay, what does this Old Testament book have to do with me? It has to do with this idea of repentance. And it's not just a one-time thing. And it's not like we have to get cleaned up before we do it. It is right now, right here, let's do it every single day. It is a lifestyle of repentance. So don't think that in this message you can fall asleep because I'm a believer. I became a believer a long time ago, and I don't need to listen to this because these are the people. These, this message is for people who don't know Jesus yet. No, that's not it at all. That we have to go through a lifestyle of repentance. 
this regular, ongoing, daily act of repenting of our sins, walking towards Jesus. So what does that look like? And that's a good question. How do I do that? How do I repent of my sins? What is the tool? Okay, here we go. Verse 2, chapter 14. It says, take with you words and return to the Lord. Take with you words. So in order to return to the Lord, we take with us words. Repentance at its very basic level is speech. It's speaking. That's repentance. That's the first step in it. That we speak to God, that we say something, that we confess with our mouth. Words come out of our mouth as, a, as an example of what's happening inside of our heart and our mind. And, and you might think, okay, maybe, maybe it's been a long time since you've talked to God. Maybe you've never talked to God because you think that it's weird. All right? I get it, and that's hard. But God is calling us as the first act of repentance that we speak, that we use words. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Well, I don't know what to say. Hosea is going to answer that. Say to him, here it is, take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands, and you, the orphan, finds mercy. Okay, whoa. There's a lot going on there. We're going to break it down, okay? So what do I say? If I'm a believer and I know that my lifestyle needs to be one of repentance, what exactly do I say? I'm going to break it down into three things. I want you to help me out and repeat these things for me, okay? There's three things that are involved in repentance, okay? There's forgive, there's trust, and then there's claim, okay? Say those back with me. Forgive, trust, and claim. One more time because I know the repetition helps retention, okay? Forgive, trust, and and claim. Okay, let's look at the first one. So what does he say? He says, forgive. All right, the, the forgive. We need to, t- he's asking, take away all of my iniquity. Ask, we ask for forgiveness of sins. And then this is an interesting line, or we're just like, what does that even mean? It says, we pay with bulls the vows of our lips, meaning this, that normally to vanquish sin, normally to get rid of sin, you would have had to take, do, do an animal sacrifice. That's the Old Testament way of doing things. You would have had to do an animal sacrifice. But what Hosea is saying is, listen, God doesn't need an animal sacrifice. He needs the confession of your lips. In Psalm 51, it says this. You don't have to turn there. It says, Oh, Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So what what the psalmist is saying there is, Use your mouth. Confess with your mouth. Use your lips to speak words of confession, and he will heal you. The Lord does not need your good works. He does not need the good things that you can do. He needs a contrite heart. So you might be saying, well, what do I do all this good stuff for? You know, I I, I help a church. Doesn't God need my help at church? No, he really doesn't. God, God's moving forward his church with or without you. Well, I, I serve in the nursery. No, you don't need that either. Well, I give to the church. No, he doesn't, he doesn't need that either. Well, you, you might say, I, I'll take the pastor out to lunch. That you can do. 
Okay? Just kidding. So we forgive, we, we ask for forgiveness. What's the three things again? Forgive, trust, and claim. All right, second thing. This is part of repentance. That we trust. There are two things that the Israelites were kind of messing up. And it's, it's a little tricky in the language, but here I want you to see the first one. It says, Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses. So here's what's happening. is The people of Israel are like, there's this huge, big, bad nation north of us called Assyria. And they are, going, they are massive, and their military is powerful. And if we don't make uh, some type of pact with them, if we don't put them in leadership of us, if we don't put their king and their politicians in charge of us, then they're going to take us over. They were concerned about the politics, and they thought that if they can get the right politicians in the right place, then life would be okay. This is 2,700 years ago. You'd think we'd get it right by now, right? They thought if we just trust in our political leaders, if we can just get the right kind of pact down with some other nation, then all of life will be okay. Everything will be right in the world. And God is saying, no. You don't need all of these different relationships. All you need is me. And it says, oh, we, you won't trust in horses. Horses came from Egypt. That's where the breeders were. And so they were, they were like, well, we, we, before they would just trust in this other nation to give them everything that they need. And they began to think, well, God doesn't give us anything we need. The nation of Egypt gives us what we need. And so they're saying part of, part of um, repentance is this idea of other things aren't going to satisfy me. I'm going to look towards God and God alone. And then this, this second one, the second one, it says, we will say no more our God to the work of our hands. Israel was prone to trust in themselves and the things that they can produce rather than God. Is this not us? That we believe that we can, whatever we can produce, the good works that we can do, the I. I don't need God to provide for me. I can make enough money on my own. I've got a great job. I've got great benefits. I don't need God. I've got great friends. I've got great family. I don't need God for a relationship. I've got enough talent in my life to take to get everything that I need. I don't need God for that. Look at all the good that I've done in my life. Surely I don't need God because I've done more good things than I've done bad things. And God's going to look at that and weigh the scales and say, you're good. Just a moment in the life of a pastor real quick. This is where I struggle. My life is spent every day serving other people. My job is to tell people about Jesus, and I get paid for it. That's a cool job. So there's a huge temptation for me to think that I can do all of these good things and they will outweigh my sin and therefore I don't need God. I don't need to confess. I don't need forgiveness because I've got all these good things that I've done and so therefore God's going to look at that and say we're good, we're tight. That's not how it works. I'm not the only one in this room. If you're in some kind of profession where you serve, you go to work and you serve other people, maybe you're a military person person or maybe you're a first responder and your life is spent serving others. You're giving up of your life. You're like, well, I, I do good every single day. Why? Of course, of course, God's going to look at me and say, you're good. 
What about my moms in the room? Your day is spent every day serving small children. And so we begin to think, maybe subconsciously to think, well, I do good things all day long. I don't need to repent of my sin because all I do is good things. Be very careful. Be very careful that the darkness of your heart is going to cloud your judgment. And you begin to think that God is good with your good works. So forgive and trust. What's the last one? Claim. All right, here's the claim. It's six words, that's great. The verse, and the verse three. It says, in you, the orphan finds mercy. I love that. I love that line. If you've got a Bible, underline it. It's fantastic. In you, the orphan, it's packed. The orphan finds mercy. It's packed with the goodness of God. Because what he's doing here is he is claiming the birthright of the sons and daughters of God. In you, our God... And you are God, the orphan, meaning me, I am the orphan. I'm in desperate need of a father. The orphan finds mercy in God. That we claim our birthright. We believe that the king of the universe desires for us to be a part of his family. And he is simply offering us to be adoption as sons and daughters. And so when we're repentant, when we ask for forgiveness, when we say, I'm not going to trust in anything else except for you. I'm not going to trust in other things. I'm not going to trust in my own works. I'm only going to trust in you. And my claim is that I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I belong here. And everything that God has for me is mine in Christ. Not because I've earned it, but because he's given it. So how, so what happens? What happens when we do these three things? What happens when we repent? What does a lifestyle of repentance look like? Now, let's go back for a second. Go back with me in your imagination. Now, it doesn't tell us in the book, okay? So we're going to have to use our imaginations a little bit. Go back to Hosea and Gomer for just a second. Go back to the days following the auction block when they're at home and they're together and they've got these three kids and that's a reminder of the unfaithfulness and there's constantly this, this kind of air and awkwardness about what's happening, right? But just imagine that Gomer strings together hours of faithfulness. Then she strings together a couple days of faithfulness. And then it happens to be a couple weeks where she hasn't run off. And she's been faithful to Hosea. And they've had these long conversations. Can you imagine those long conversations into the night where she's just pouring out her heart, telling her husband everything that that she's done. And he says, I'm with you. I forgive you. You're mine now. You don't have to go anywhere. And she strings these weeks into months and maybe even into years where she is faithful to her wife or she's faithful to her husband. And every morning, Hosea wakes up and the light of the morning wakes him up and he turns over. And every single morning, she's there laying in the bed next to him, faithful where she was that last night. Stringing together all of these things ends in this kind of lifetime and lifestyle of repentance. Where does that get us? Because the goal is not to just not be a whore anymore. That's not the goal of Gomer's life. The goal, if, if you struggle with something specific, let's just say that you struggle with alcohol. The goal of your life is not to just not be an alcoholic. That's not the point. 
God wants so much more for you than that. What if you strung together sobriety for a long, long, long time? Your life is not identified by, I'm just not an alcoholic anymore. Your life is identified in a completely different way. And what is that way? The Bible calls that flourishing. The Bible calls that flourishing. It's not just, I'm just the sum of what I don't do. That's not it. There's a lifestyle of repentance, and it leads to this flourishing. So what does it look like to stay at home? What does it look like to stay at home? What does it look like to string these multiple days and weeks together or faithful to God? And so in the rest of the chapter, Hosea ends with sharing with us what this faithfulness looks like. So I'm going to read through it and give a couple comments. In verse 4, read with me. It says, I will heal their apostasy, and I will love them, what does it say? Freely. Now, this is fun. I will love them freely. Did he love them before? Yes or no? Yeah. Does God love you in your own, in your sin? Yeah, he does. I love that line. He will love them freely. He will love them freely. What I think he means by that is this, that before there was this thing in between them, there was this separation. There was something blocking the love that God had for you, for us, for me. That there, when there's sin in my life, there's something that is getting in between me and God. And so when we repent, when we live this lifestyle of repentance, constantly looking forward to what kind of sin can I get rid of in my life to look more like Christ, I will love them freely, unencumbered, for my anger has turned from them. Verse 5. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. Now, this, this language right here is huge in verse 5. Why? Because if you've ever been to the Middle East, it doesn't rain a whole lot. There's not a whole lot of precipitation. There's not dew in the morning. So this idea that there's going to be dew in Israel, that there's going to be a refreshing, a comfort in Israel. So what is, what is stringing together days and weeks and months of faithfulness? And, and what does it look like to live a lifestyle of repentance? It's this refreshing in your life. That it's not, not, not just about what I don't do. It's about what God is doing in my life and how he is making me flourish. And that there's, being, there's fruit that's coming out of this relationship. It is a comforting, refreshing take on what God, what God can do for you. Verse 6, it says this, his shoots, I love this, his shoots shall spread out. Now, that's an interesting line. His shoots shall spread out. You ever done this? I have these in my, uh, I have these in my yard. You ever have a crepe myrtle tree that you've cut down and there's just the stump there? It lo- it's just dead. It's just a stump. You know what crepe myrtles do really well in the south? They keep growing. It, you can you can literally mow the thing down. I, I have taken out whole stumps of crepe myrtles at my house, and we still have shoots of crepe myrtles coming out of the ground. It's like I, it's like whack a mole. I can't get rid of them. Right? This is the, this is what he's talking about. Where you thought that there was a piece of your life that is completely dead in every way, and the only thing that is left is a stump. Flourishing repentance allows shoots to come up from a dead stump. So where there was a relationship, maybe it's with a friend or maybe it's a family member where you broke it because of sin or maybe they broke it because of sin, but because of repentance, maybe something that was dead is now alive again. 
maybe there's something that's going to grow out of the deadness that you don't even know, but you are, we need to take the opportunity to live this life of repentance in order to see it. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like olive, like the olive, and his fragrance like Lebanon. Apparently, you smell good when you repent. It's going to be great. All right, here's where things change. It changes the pronoun. It says they instead of his, and that's important, okay? It says they shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. Now, the language has changed because the pronouns are changing a little bit. And what, what he means by this is, is they shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Here's what this means. It means that it's not just us hiding beneath the shadow of God, even though that's a good image. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying that the people of Israel are going to blossom so well and their branches are going to spread out so well and they're going to be so healthy, this picture of a tree, and other people and other nations are going to come underneath the shade of that tree. So here's what it means when we string together weeks and months and years of faithfulness and repentance. Here's what it means. It means that other people are going to come into relationship with us, and they will begin to flourish as well because of our repentance. That's a neat picture. That your children, that your friends will begin to know God better. That that their actions will change because of your flourishing, because of your repentance. They will flourish. That they will find rescue in being near you. Verse 8, O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like the evergreen cypress from, from, from me comes your fruit. Now, this is an interesting verse too. All right, verse 8, it says, I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Anybody have a cypress tree in their yard? Ever seen a cypress tree? Ever seen a cypress tree? Honestly, seriously. You ever seen a piece of fruit come out of a cypress tree? Nope. This is an amazing tree. It's a cypress tree that's evergreen that bears fruit. Fruit trees are not evergreen. This is a miraculous idea that there is going to be constant fruit year long all the time. It's not just some time of the year where we're going to bear fruit at harvest. It's evergreen. It always is constant and strong and growing, and it's going to bear fruit. That's the picture that we get when we're repentant, when we're living this lifestyle of repentance. Whoever is wise, this is how he ends the book. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. This is the, the narrow and the wide path that Jesus lays out for us. The wise will understand these things, but the discerning I'm sorry, what led the discerning discern to know them? It says, but the transgressors will stumble in them. What does God do with a repentant heart? Where there was disappointment, now there's going to be honor. Where there's wickedness, now there's going to be righteousness. And your life, where, where there was despair, there's now going to be hope. And life completely changes, not just the little things, not just small pieces of your life, but all of life changes when we begin this idea of repentance. And so I have this question for you to consider as we finish up this sermon series. Which Gomer are you? Which Gomer are you? Now, we're not Hosea. We've established this fact. Only God is Hosea, the one who saves. But the question for us to consider is, which Gomer are you? Are you early Gomer, where things are just very unfaithful? 
your life is kind of wild and crazy. And you make decisions based solely upon what you want all the time. And my hope is, is that you will feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life and come back to God. That you will return and repent of your sin. Come back to God. And God is so willing to save you through the blood of Christ. So secondly, here's the deal. Are you auction block Gomer? Maybe you're early Gomer and you're just all over the place. But what, what if you're auction block Gomer and your life is at a critical point and you're thinking to yourself, I'm ready to be redeemed today. Now is the moment. And that might be you today. And you're just like, I'm, I'm, I've heard it all. I've heard the gospel. I know that Jesus is wanting to save me. And now all I have to do is respond to that gift. If that's you this morning, I want to pray with you specifically. Now, but most of you in this room are this. You're Gomer at home. You're Gomer at home, and you know the sins of your past, and you know that things are not quite where they need to be. Then I, I'll, let me ask you this. Have you taken time to talk with God and to tell him, to speak with your mouth that I need forgiveness, God? That I'm trusting in other things that are not you. That I'm trusting in the things that God that I'm trusting in the things that I can do and not God can do. And lastly, that you're not claiming your role, your position in this world as a son and daughter of the king. Forgive, trust, and claim. Most of you in this room are there. And so maybe it, it just, we need to take a little bit of time, maybe here at the end of the service, and give you an opportunity of repentance that today you can say, hey, I'm going to start this process. I'm going to repent today. And it's not just about today. It's about stringing another day and another day and another week and another week and another month. We're stringing all these days of repentance together so that we might be able to see a life of flourishing. Maybe you're Gomer at home. And so I want to give you a chance in just a couple minutes to pray and speak to God and practice this. You know what's interesting about this sermon, about this, about this series, and about this book of the Bible? I asked you this question, and I, and I, and I said, which Gomer are you? But here's the deal, and that's important for us to realize and think through, and it's important for us to ask these questions. But here's the deal. This book is not about you. <laughs> this book is about the glory of the love of God. It is the love of God on display. And what we wanted for you guys to see throughout this entire series is this amazing picture of the gospel set in the Old Testament with this really crude, awful story and how God uses all of the Bible to weave together this beautiful message of the gospel. And so when you're reading the Bible and you're, you're walking with God, I hope that you'll see that God has a wonderful plan for your life and a wonderful plan for all of the universe, that this story is about God's faithfulness. It's not about us. And so our, we should just simply respond to it. And so that's what I want to ask you guys to do uh, in these last couple of minutes. The band's going to come up, and I'm going to ask you guys to do a little practice in repentance. So let's pray together. Just, I know that for, for some of you, this is going to be fine. This, for some of you, this is going to be a little bit awkward. Um, because speaking to God is not something that you do all the time. But let's just use those words. And so in the silence of your heart, you speak to him. He can hear you. The scripture tells us that we can take words. 
And so here's what I want you to do. Think through that repetition of forgive, trust, and claim. And I want you to pray and ask God for forgiveness. I want you to tell him what you need to trust in. And I want you to take some time and claim who you are in Christ. Go ahead. Father, we as a people, as a church, beg your forgiveness because sometimes we have found other things to rely on. In our world, there's so many bigger things that we could rely on than us, and so we put our trust in all sorts of things, and money, and politicians, and leaders, and work, and we put our trust in our kids, and put trust in a lot of different things. God, I pray that you would forgive us of that. God, I pray that, that we would be forgiven of the things that we trusted that we could do. Where we think that we can do enough good things to outweigh all of our bad things. And therefore, you're good with us. But simply, that's not true. But the only thing that you want to see is the blood-bought person of Jesus when you see us. But you want to see your Holy Spirit covering us. And so, God, we trust in nothing else. We do not trust in our own works. We do not trust in our own deeds. We only trust in you. And so, God, I pray that you forgive us of the things that we have done or haven't done. Because we know that our identity, Father, is in you. We know that we are children of a risen king. We know that we are eternal souls destined for heaven where we will be sons and daughters of the king forever. And so God, we claim that position. God, help us to know in our hearts and as we walk through our day that that's who we are, that we are prince and princesses of the king. Thank you for forgiving us today, Father. Thank you for the goodness of how we can string all of this together into a lifestyle of faithfulness. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So this is day one, hour one. As a lifestyle of repentance, let's begin to string that together from hour to hour to hour where we live lives of repentance and then into tomorrow and thinking through, how am I going to start my day? Forgive, trust, claim. How am I going to pray? Forgive, trust, and claim. Let's do this together and we'll see things flourish in our own lives.